RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. The lack of surgeons in rural and regional Australia can have significant health repercussions, according to ENT surgeon and recently appointed chair of the RAC's Rural Surgery Section Committee, Dr Bridget Clancy. For example, even the cost of commuting to a city for surgery can be prohibitive, she says, and may result in people foregoing surgery altogether. Her own economic modelling reveals the scale of the issue. Dr Clancy is focused on finding workable solutions that benefit surgeons and drive improved health outcomes for people living in regional and rural Australia. Dr Clancy herself is based in Warrnambool, a three-hour drive from Melbourne. Nicole Goodman asks her first what attracted her to work in the country. I think there's multiple reasons why I practice where I practice. It probably began in childhood. I spent part of my childhood in the country. And I think there was a lot of influence from some TV shows, the country practice and the flying doctors. And I wanted to be the sort of doctor that could really help people in remote areas. I had some very inspiring role models in medical school, including a a general surgical registrar who first got me interested in surgery. And then one of my lifelong mentors, Michael Dobson, who was a rural ENT surgeon, My partner is also from the country and he had been working as an accountant for a large mining firm and then made the decision to go back farming. So we combine a couple of careers in our household, but we're in the best part of Victoria for dairy farming. I think what prompted me to become an advocate is firstly, I've always been a patient advocate. We need to put the patient at the centre of any decision that we make around healthcare because the care of patients is our core business. In terms of rural health, what drives me is fairness and equity. One third of Australians live in rural and remote areas and they have poorer health outcomes than their metropolitan peers. For me, that's just not fair. In a wealthy country like Australia, we could be doing so much better. And health carers are ideally placed for solving difficult problems like rural health care delivery. We're experts in team-based care, in problem analysis, dealing with stakeholders and patients and making do with limited resources. So there's a lot of discussion about the surgical workforce distribution or maldistribution. Can you talk a bit more about the disproportion of Australian surgeons that work in rural and remote locations? 29% of Australians live outside metropolitan areas, but only 13% of surgeons live and work in these areas. And that contributes to the inequitable health outcomes for rural patients. I believe that all Australians have the right to access healthcare when needed, as close to home as possible. At medical school entry, around 35% of students express a desire to eventually work in a rural, remote or other underserved area. But at the end of their training pathway, only around 15% do. So there's something about our training pathway that creates barriers or has unintended consequences and converts these rural intention students to metropolitan surgeons in the long run. Given that then, why is it important to provide surgical services in rural and regional areas? What's the impact of transferring more patients to major centres rather than providing local services? I think there are individual and societal benefits to having care as close to home as possible. On an individual level, improved access to healthcare, including preventive services, means we have healthier people 
better able to participate in their communities, actively looking for work, remaining in the workforce for longer and being more productive. From a societal perspective, every person that we need to transfer for care has to be transferred with their carers, particularly in my field, 50% of my work is in children. So when I transfer a child for an appointment or for care, then we need to transfer a parent or carer, and then we need to have another parent or carer to look after the rest of the family. So the multiplicative effects in terms of cost and time are great. I've done some economic modelling in my own practice when I was challenged as part of the Telstra Business Women Awards to measure my economic impact. There are lots of ways to do it. One of the simplest models that I created was calculating how much it would cost for a patient to travel from my town to the nearest other service two hours away, either by car or public transport, and using the average adult weekly income from the ABS. It's around an average of $382 per person per appointment, in addition to the cost of the appointment that they will already have. If we extend that to the number of consultations my practice provided in the last financial year, the cost to the patient in lost income and travel to all of my patients as a group would be $1.93 million per year. There are other ways to model economic impact of healthcare in communities. One American study found that in rural and regional areas, for every dollar spent on healthcare, $11 were generated in economic activity for that community. If I, again, take my last financial year's care for patients, that comes up close to $10 million in economic benefit for the community. There's increased benefits when we treat children close to home because of their need to take carers with them or have extra carers at home with the other children and because of their very long lives if we can promote health for children. So for one year of uh, my surgery in children, it adds another $15 million to our local economy. So overall, the practice of one ENT surgeon in a rural area has upwards of $20 million in individual and community economic benefits. Not everything's about money, but our communities need to pay for their health care. There are a lot of subsidies government pays for an enormous amount of health care in Australia, and there are some increased subsidies for country people for travel, but it in no way fully mitigates the increased costs that they bear when they travel for care. The other community group that is particularly affected by needing to travel for care is our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander population. There's strong evidence that if they have to travel away from family and country for care, they are less likely to access that care and that compounds um, the gaps in health outcomes for them. So what's the college's opinion on how more services can be provided to communities in rural and regional Australia? The college considers this an important activity in terms of advocacy for the health of rural Australia and there are multiple approaches that we are taking. Collaboration is one of the pillars of the College of Surgeons advocacy strategy and there are multiple players in this field, particularly federal and state governments and the multitude of training organisations and other healthcare providers involved in the rural health space. So collaboration is key. We know the data around creating rural surgeons and other rural practitioners. Firstly, long-term rural practice is strongly associated with rural intention at entry into medical school. It's further strengthened by at least one year of continuous positive rural exposure. There's also an emerging concept of rural self-efficacy, 
where doctors or trainees particularly set out to develop rural self-efficacy, so to train themselves as generalists so that they can practice in the more challenging areas. We need more skill, not less skill, to be rural practitioners because we're dealing with different environments and sometimes constrained resources and often less numbers on the ground or less support compared to having a metropolitan practice. And so how can the college and surgical specialties develop training pathways for surgeons interested in rural and regional careers? There are multiple areas along the training pathway where the college can examine and intervene and innovate to stop our fall away of rural intention at the end of training. For example, we need to investigate our current processes in training and in selection so that we select for diversity. If our medical workforce reflects the diversity in our community, we are more likely to be able to provide care to that diverse range of people. We need to select for rurality and we need to provide opportunities for that one year of continuous positive rural exposure. And that can be through rural training hubs or through an increased emphasis on trainees spending at least one year of each program in the country. We need those jobs to be terrific jobs. We need to focus on outcomes, not processes. Some of our selection and training processes have unintended consequences in terms of preventing trainees being able to work in the country. If they're based on outcomes, then that's reasonable. But if they're not outcome-based, then we need to examine them and remove any unintended barriers. I would also say to trainees who do have rural intention that they need to engage in job crafting or trying to have an influence on their career pathway so that they do get the diverse range of skills they need to practice confidently in the country. For example, when I trained, I sought out training positions in related specialties, cardiothoracics, endocrine surgery, vascular surgery, all of which would help me, for example, managing chest trauma or retrosternal thyroid disease. I wanted to have that breadth of experience, but also create those networks with specialists in metropolitan centres that would help me manage my complex patients. And I also need to continue those networks with my own craft group, because we work really very cooperatively when patients do need to be transferred. To return to the concept of collaboration, rural health is a focus for multiple groups at present, and there's a real appetite and goodwill amongst particularly government to facilitate training in regions. I do need to say that healthy doctors make healthy patients, and our trainees and our consultant surgeons need to be employed in positions where they have safe hours and access to all of the social supports and family supports that all people need to thrive. So in encouraging rural training hubs or one year of rural exposure, I'm not intending to further dislocate trainees from their social supports. We need to be really clever about how we do this. There are precedents. Multiple other training colleges have compulsory rural terms and also compulsory selection criteria for a quota of rural intention trainees. So this is already being done with um, good outcomes. I think that any job that we send our trainees or our consultants to needs to fit a typical worker, and that is somebody who 
has a partner with an equally compelling career, both of whom have caring responsibilities for elders, siblings with disabilities or children, and both of whom need safe hours so that they can attend to the other parts of life that keep them well and resilient. One of the barriers to doctors working in the country is the perception of unsafe hours or onerous on-call requirements. And I have lived that difficulty. I made significant changes in my practice after a a prolonged period over more than 10 years of one-in-one on-call, which was unsustainable for me and for my family. And through collaboration with my peers in other centres and with the health services and the community I work in, We've moved to a position where I'm um, working safe hours and we have protocols for task substitutions so that other specialists in the emergency department or general surgery department or general practitioners can manage my patients when needed and then quite clear transfer protocols so that we can transfer it to our nearest centre two hours away. And our communication between the two centres is very good. We have recently analysed one year's data of this new process and we've had very safe patient outcomes. No patients have complained. In fact, most patients were surprised that I had ever been on call one-in-one and didn't expect that service. Neither did the general practitioners in my region. Everybody recognises that one-in-one on call is unsustainable and the advice that I would give to anyone going to a rural area is to be very clear and upfront about what is a sustainable model of care and how we can create innovative ways of providing the care that our communities need without simply transferring a metropolitan model that will never work. We will never have the numbers of surgeons in regional centres to staff a one in six on call or continuous on call. So we need to look at outcomes, safe patients, and we need to look at how we can get that without unduly putting the weight on one person's shoulders. There are some fantastic ideas you've mentioned there. Is there anything else that can be done to attract and support the best surgical talent in rural and regional areas? I think on a professional basis, so many of our career choices come down to inspiring mentors. So exposing our trainees to country surgeons doing it well will have an enormous impact. I also think that for towns and rural cities wanting to attract a sustainable medical workforce, livability is key. And Some of the elements of livability include adequate NBN, great schools for kids, lifestyle amenity. The area I live in is absolutely gorgeous and a lot of the doctors that live where I work are there because they love to surf or they love to bushwalk or they're interested in farming. It's physically very beautiful and there's no traffic. There's also quite a large medical staff group so we have a lot of support for each other. So I think seeing it done well is one of the most important things. No amount of advertising or any other strategy will be the same as having inspiring mentors who are living a good life with satisfying work and good relationships. I think we also need to give trainees the skills that they need to work as generalists. We absolutely need subspecialists, but a subspecialist workforce lacks the skill to work in a regional and rural area. So we need to make sure that we get the balance right between generalism to serve the needs of the community and subspecialties to serve the needs of some of the community. Now, you've recently been elected as the chair of RAC's Rural Surgery Section Committee. Tell us a bit more about the committee and what it does. The committee represents the members of the Rural Surgery Section. We have over 500 members. Our role is to advise the College of Surgeons on any matter that is relevant for rural surgery, and that applies for patients as well as our our surgeons. 
we have a seat on the advocacy board and also fellowship services committee. We also are represented on the National Rural Health Alliance, which is the peak rural advocacy body for healthcare in Australia and includes many different healthcare organisations, including Allied Health. We work very collaboratively with the Rural Doctors Association of Australia and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Medical Associations. We also find that it's key to engage and have representatives from medical school level and also from trainee level. So we have a Raxter representative on our committee. I think diverse voices on our committee is what makes us as strong as we are. And also the enormous drive that rural healthcare providers have, not just to provide direct patient care, but to advocate, collaborate, take solutions to government to improve access to care for our patients. Dr Bridget Clancy, ENT surgeon and chair of the RAC's Rural Surgery Section Committee. RAC's post-op podcast is brought to you with the compliments of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons and leading financial services organisation, the Bongiorno National Network, the preferred choice for medical professionals across Australia. You can reach the Bongiorno National Network on plus 613 9863 3111.